Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist and a nutritionist and a guy with a nasty head cold. (laughs) (laughs) This is Phil Stevens. I've been battling the cold, too, but not as bad as Lonnie's now. So, uh, strength coach, powerlifter, highland games athlete. I run Strength Guild and... You know, all-around amazing person. So um, today we got Jason Crenshaw joining us. Jason, say hi. Hey. Jason is a lifter at my gym, and he has a fairly interesting origin story and, and all that, so we wanted to have him on. So um, Jason, number one, let's talk about lifting in general. When did you get to start with lifting, any sports background, stuff like that? Started lifting probably when I was a junior in high school. Um, it was actually the summer between my junior and senior year. Um, I had actually uh, was diagnosed with cancer at the end of my eighth grade year and did chemotherapy up until the summer before my junior year in high school. And my dad, I remember my dad ended up taking me to Kansas City and we bought a weight set down there and I actually still have that same weight set. <laughs> um, and actually we put that out in our um, garage and used to lift out there all the time. And I remember joining, there was a gym over in Holiday Square and I don't even remember mm-hmm. the name of the gym of it, but I remember working out there too and had just kind of developed kind of a passion for it um i always wanted to try to stay in shape as much as i could um and then after <laughs> having our kid things kind of slowed down a little bit and now that my son is quite a bit older his freshman year in high school he wanted to start lifting so we started lifting together and um, that's just been kind of a even a bigger passion now. It's just lifting with him. Yeah. So, um, but I had been uh, diagnosed with cancer. Um, well, now a total of seven times. But even while I was in nursing school, um, the cancer had come back in my kidney, and then again in both lungs. 
and had always tried to stay active, you know, lifting weights, things like that, as much as I could. Now, when I got on the chemotherapy, that was a little bit harder to do, but um, I know when I finished the chemo, as soon as I could get back into it, I was back into it yeah. and trying to stay active and um, actually ended up doing an alternative cancer therapy uh, out of Canada uh, the last time I was diagnosed with one particular cancer um, back in 95 is when I started that treatment and actually radically changed my diet at that time. Um, I did a lot of juicing, uh, a lot of vegetables, um, actually gave up all red meat, all dairy for a year while I was doing that alternative therapy. Mm. Um, so uh, that was a big thing for me because <laughs> I'm kind of a carnivore and I love cheese. <laughs> so, uh, But now it was last February that my son decided he wanted to do a powerlifting meet. Um, and it was a, one of those high school powerlifting meets. And he actually took third place in that. And I had never actually done powerlifting before. And so uh, someone had steered us towards Phil and said, you need to contact him. And so I remember texting Phil. And I was like, hey, is 47 years old, too old to start powerlifting. And I remember his answer, well, I'm 42, and I just opened my squat up at 700 pounds. And I'm like, you're an a-hole, Phil. So. <laughs> so Dylan and I had started up at the Strength Guild there, and I'm telling you, it is um, one of the best places you could ever be, you know, physically, but also socially. Um just a good bunch of people there, very encouraging, and I had never deadlifted before because I was always afraid of throwing my back out, and that is one thing I so appreciate at the uh, Guild is that, you know, it's safety first all the way, so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, <clears throat> so now I do a lot of um, keto, low-carb stuff. Um, and then of course, if we're ever getting ready for a meet, I may try to pack on some weight then. So, uh, yeah, Jason, Jason was eating up for the last meet like me and we were both miserable together. So yeah, yeah. Oh, that's helpful. <laughs> how's that heartburn and asthma going? Well, okay. <laughs> uh, um, it's going to be a little tough to get into anything without getting in our topic of the day, but, um, after that, but. You know, a big one I want to touch on is is just that is like passing on to the next generation. That's a big thing that that's that's seen with you and Dylan and, and things like that. So uh, I want to expand on that a little bit. Is like just just doing this with your son. I see a lot of we have a lot of parents that have come in and they sadly sit the sidelines and holler from their kids from the sidelines. And you're right in there doing it. <laughs> you know, and and not the not to toot anybody's whistle, but I mean, your son's kind of a freak too. So, yeah, but you're, yeah. you're you're right in there doing it with him. So, <laughs> um, it, it just speaks volumes to me. I mean, that's one thing that we, my wife and I, believe is as parents is 
uh, lead by example. And it's a lot more forming than it is to just to sit on the sidelines and go, work harder. Right, while you're sitting right. there sipping on a beer and smoking a cigarette. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, that has yeah, always been one of my highlights is to be there with him and do that with him. Because it's a positive habit, you know. Well, and there's not enough of it now. I mean, you see the the exodus of even physical education from schools and, and things like that. So, uh, how the hell are we going to get it unless we get it from the parents? Right. <laughs> you know? right. So, well, and it's just such a family based gym too. I mean, you've got your wife there working out with you. You got your kids in there. Um, it, it is certainly a. a a place that focuses on family. So yeah. I appreciate that very yeah. much. Yeah. I'm glad you guys came in. So um, let's go into your background of work a bit. What do you do? You mentioned school and, and things like that. So everybody gets kind of an understanding of where you're coming out from that avenue. Um, I'm actually uh, a nurse practitioner. I'm certified in both family practice and psychiatric and mental health. Uh, currently work full time. <laughs> Um, in psychiatric and mental health, and then I still do some um, on-call stuff for hospice. Um, but actually, uh, I'd worked hospice for several years, and um, I swore after I finished nursing school I'd never go back to school, but then it was... When I was into my 30s and even my 40s, I went back to school and, and did some more. Um, I, I do feel that physical exercise is, is certainly lacking within the medical community for sure. Um, and there's just, I think, a lot of lack of knowledge even within the m medical professionals uh, in terms of how to um, maybe help people stay healthy, stay well, and help prevent diseases. So, you know, through nutrition and exercise. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, that's that's kind of the gist of it. I think with because of what we're doing, uh, let's go to break now. And we're going to touch on for the Jason, as he mentioned, was diagnosed with cancer when he was in eighth grade. So, and now you're how old again? Oh, God. 48 <laughs> so we're talking what 34 years of various bouts with, with, with cancer and along that time been lifting and nutrition and things like that and i want to we we're going to talk how how those two affected each other so uh, here's the break and then we're going to come back and talk to jason Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it. Do it now. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you 
uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle. Oh, you poor meathead. All that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit uh, royalty on the book. But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, everybody, we're back. This is Phil. And again, like we said in the intro, we have Jason Crenshaw with us. Today we're going to touch on uh, cancer, you know, the big C word. And then along with that, what Jason has done as far as training and nutrition, how that might have aided in in his progress in fighting the disease. And this is kind of a, a topic that's near and dear to my heart, having gone through a lot of this with my mother. And how we saw that it training and nutrition aided aided our battle and things like that. So, um, again, Jason was diagnosed first time when he was in eighth grade. So, been battling various forms of cancer and successfully since for thirty four years. So, um, let's touch on that. So, let's go back to to day one. Um, you are not training at this time, correct? Correct. So what was your first initial diagnosis then? Um, it was actually what they diagnosed it at that time was hemangioparasitoma, and it was actually originated in the right nasal passage, and is how that all got diagnosis to be, diagnosed to begin with was my nose just bled and bled and bled and bled all night long. Um, and I remember it was the last day of my eighth grade year that I had surgery and 
<clears throat> then that summer, around July, I believe it was, we were on vacation and it started to bleed again. And when I got back to Topeka, um, went back in and the cancer had completely filled the right sinus cavity and was actually pushing to get into the brain and ended up doing another surgery and I remember that one took I think about eight hours and then ended up doing radiation that summer and then the beginning of my ninth grade school year is when I started chemotherapy and that was one of the worst experiences I think I could ever go through was the chemo and then the summer between my freshman and sophomore year, I remember coming home um, one evening and my parents were sitting on the front porch and my dad said, we need to talk to you and said, your mom has cancer. And so my mom and I were both going through chemotherapy at the same time and you certainly have to keep a sense of humor <laughs> when you're going through all of that for sure um, I finished my chemo the summer it was August of 1987 before my uh, junior year in high school and then my mom passed away in October of 1987 with her she had colon cancer mm. And so it was that um, junior year when I really started to get into uh, weightlifting. Um, of course, I was kind of a scrawny kid back then, but um, I, I did okay. And then it was in 1991 when I had first started uh, nursing school. And at that time, I'd been working out at the Y. And I remember... Uh, having blood in my urine and going to the doctor and at first they just said it was kidney stones and ended up at the hospital a couple times with that flank pain like kidney stones but it ended up the cancer had metastasized to the kidney so I ended up having that right kidney removed and then it was in 93 I was back down for a routine uh, checkup at KU Med Center, and they did a chest x-ray and then found it in the left lung. So I ended up having a portion of that lung removed and then ended up having to make a choice to do chemo again or not. And I ended up doing another year of chemo at that time, which was actually worse than the first time I did it. And then it was in 94, um, I was back down for another routine checkup, and they found it in the other lung. So I ended up having a piece of that lung removed. That was actually six days before my nursing graduation. And <laughs> I remember uh. sweating like a banshee at <laughs> graduation because I was hurting so bad. And one of my buddies that I graduated with decided to give me a nice pat on the back after that graduation and took a lot of purchase at that day <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but I was 
pretty much told at that time when I went back down um, to KU Med Center that basically is what they could do is take my bone marrow out, radiate my entire body, give me a one-time dose of a drug called Malphalan, which is a mustard gas, which would have put me in the hospital for two to three months, part of that in total isolation. Um you know, here I was, a new graduate at a nursing school, and I wouldn't have been able to take my state boards. Um, so I ended up um, going with an alternative cancer therapy out of Quebec, which I actually ended up finding out through my stepmom's brother who was doing it, and have been cancer-free from that particular cancer ever since. Um, there was no side effects to it. I did have to adjust my diet uh, quite a bit. That's when I gave up all the red meat, gave up the dairy, um, actually for about a full year. I did a lot of juicing of a lot of vegetables, some fruits. Um, continued to work out. Uh, worked out a lot. Um, actually ended up uh, doing some martial arts as well. Um, and actually ended up uh, getting my uh, second degree black belt in uh, Okinawan Shonru Karate. Um, and then in 2006, um, they noticed I had a spot on my tongue and ended up having a third of my tongue removed at that time. Thank God I didn't have to do any more. Uh, chemotherapy after that, which I probably wouldn't have done anyways. Um, and then most recently, um, I just had a, a basal cell carcinoma removed off my nose, probably, which was just from the radiation that I'd had mm -hmm. uh, from the cancer back in the 80s. Um, but I, I truly believe that exercise and nutrition is so so necessary for people ultimately just for the prevention of things to even happen uh, if you even look at breast cancer exercise is one of the most effective ways of preventing breast cancer in women um, we just unfortunately live in a society where that's not really um, taught or encouraged so much uh, especially within the medical community I, I think shame on them for that um, but the powerlifting has, has really become a big passion of mine. Um, well, over this last year, I never, and I, I guess I love it in the fact that I thought that this is something I would never, ever be able to do. Mm -hmm. And to see some of the other folks at the gym who are even older than I am that are in there doing it. Uh, think of Nan, who's yeah. <laughs> lost, I don't know how much weight she's lost, but went off her diabetes medicine mm -hmm. um, and has certainly added years to her life because of that. And I appreciate Phil. And all there is in there. So let's get further into the... Uh, so I know from from... Uh, from my bouts with my mother and things like that, let's talk more about just the training and nutrition as far as it goes. Like with my mother, the initial diagnosis was, hey, you've got six months to a year to live. 
Um, so what did we do? You can either sit down and take that and just hope for the best, or you can get up and fight. And a big thing we did was, okay, well, we're going to get out and walk. We're going to get out and train. We're going to get out and change our diet. We're going to get this and that. And, and initially, the biggest thing that came when, when round two of that came is the doctors flat out told me the reason she made it through the next round was because she was strong enough to live through the next round <laughs> just from yeah. training. Um, and that's a big part of it. You see people people get beat down through the, the chemo and the radiation and this and that just because it takes so much out of you, and they didn't have that much to give. Right. Exactly. Uh, they didn't have it left. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, one of the reasons that we lasted five years was just being strong enough to do it. Um, I don't think a lot of people realize that that haven't been through it, how much just the treatment kicks your ass more than the maybe more than the disease. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, yes. So, um, can you speak on that? And where, where, and when did the lifting and things? Do you think did it? Uh, did you really notice, start noticing benefit? And how did it benefit? Well, I just think even from the get go, you know, as a junior in high school, making that habit. Uh huh. Um, and having that habit ingrained in me for when I was older, which is why I think it's important kids get involved in some kind of exercise, whatever that may be, whether it's sports or lifting or, or whatever. Um, but I think I, I just remember being at the gym after I was diagnosed with the kidney cancer and one of the, the guys at the gym asking me, he said, wow, he said, do you think that the lifting has helped keep you alive? And I said, yes, I have. Yeah. I, I do believe that. Um, I mean, if, if nothing else, you get endorphins released. You know, it decreases your stress, which decreases your cortisol levels, which helps your immune system. Um, there's just so much benefit to it. And just the fact of, like you were saying, Phil, physically people have to be at a point to where they can even tolerate treatment Yeah, because there's a lot of people that can't even do the treatment because they're not physically capable of doing it. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, I do think sometimes the treatments are harder than the disease itself. So, um, but again, I'm, <laughs> I love the power of lifting, Phil. Yeah. I love it. Love well, and I think that's part of it. I mean, that's part of it. Not even somebody fighting something. Uh -huh. um, part of part of what I try and preach in lifting is find what you like. Mm -hmm. And if that's power lifting, if that's Olympic weightlifting, if that's bodybuilding, it doesn't matter. If you find something, your sect of fitness that you are passionate about, uh -huh. you're going to do something that you're passionate about much harder than you are something you don't. Right. <laughs> that you're not. So, and that's the beauty with, with, with exercise. There's so many things to do. Even for God's sakes, we don't preach it a lot, but even running, if running is your thing, do it, you know, go, go do it. And it's, it's, that's, that's my goal with every client that walks in the door. Of course, I, I'm jaded towards strength sports and I love them myself, but if that's not your thing, I'm going to help you find it. Right. You know, let's find what turns you on. Um, and go there. I've had people that I, I know should be power lifters, like anatomically, genetically, they are matched for that sport, but somewhere in their wiring in their brain, they do not enjoy it. Mm 
I'm not going to force him to stay there. Let's right. go. Let's let's go towards something you love. Yeah. So I mean, that, even that, like you said, the endorphins from that, the enjoyment of it. I mean, we are we're meant to move as humans. Well, and I, a big part of that's lost now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think a lot of people can have every excuse under the sun of why they're not doing it. Yeah. But I even think of you, Phil. Come on, you've had a hip replacement. Yeah. <laughs> and you're still squatting over 700 pounds. Yeah, you know, and that, that was a big one. You know, I I just mentioned something about that on the sh- on social media yesterday. You know, it's it's coming coming through those universities and saying fuck you, man. I I got this. I'm gonna do it because I love it, and that and that's okay. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I mean, we got the fitness thing, and and it. Let's get into the training and nutrition. So. From your aspect, somebody who's been through this more times than I've known anybody, if you had five tips f- for somebody to avoid avoid cancer or uh, help help fight it, what would those be? And I know you, you're in the medical profession, but just not even medically, from a medical professional's point of view, just your own personal point of view, and we can take it as that. <laughs> okay. What would you say? Where Where would you tell people to turn? First, avoid the things you know that are going to be carcinogenic in your body. I mean, we all know smoking is probably one of the biggest ones. Um, any nicotine for that fact. Um, uh, I truly believe I'm a big keto person uh, myself. Um, just because of what it's done for me as far as my blood sugars and cholesterol. And um, I certainly think um, whatever, I, I don't even want to say diet, but lifestyle modification people can make, that's a huge piece because it's not some, not just what we keep from putting in our bodies but it's also those um, nutritional factors that are necessary for uh, proper cell growth Um, you know I think physical exercise is is huge I really do uh, believe that that is a method for um, keeping your body in check Um, you know I think the other thing um, would be laughing. Just laughing yeah. is a big piece in life. And, I mean, there's a lot of studies showing how much it helps the brain itself uh, grow. But I think just being social, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that may be, whether maybe it is people that go to church. I mean, for me, it is being with my friends, being with um, the people at the gym. Um, I think social interaction is is a big piece in our health and not isolating ourselves. Um, just because I see that in mental health when people start to isolate mm. and uh, we start to ruminate on things we probably shouldn't be ruminating on. Um, but like you said, Phil, finding that piece of exercise that you enjoy, that it's not a job to go in and do it, but it is 
fun and you yeah. want to go in and do that. Yeah. And, and for me, that's the gym. I mean, it's a social place for me. It's a exercise place for me that I just uh, so, so enjoy. Yeah. So. Well, I know we've touched on this on the show a lot, but, um, you know, like I know and I've known for a long time that I will never be the I will I'll, I'll never be Ed Cohn. And that's okay. I'm going to have fun and do the best I can. And there's a lot of people that can't get past that. They they don't understand, they don't they don't find the passion in the training itself. They're right. always looking at the outcome or the hopeful outcome. Um, and I think that bleeds back to the positive mindset you're talking about. Um, <clears throat> of all the people I know, that's one thing that strikes me from first meeting you. You are like the most pleasant, happiest person to be around ever. <laughs> <And> <laughs> you're the first person to come up to somebody and give them a hug and shake their hand and say, how's your day doing and this and that. Um, and if anybody in this world, I mean, has a reason to, to be pissed off and be sour, it could be you. I mean, you've fought cancer seven freaking times <laughs> and every day you come in with a smile on your face and you're ready to go and uh i mean i have to believe just from what i've seen a lot of what happens to you in life is self-driven from that mental attitude i mean if you if you if you serve yourself up a plate of uh, of, of apples or a plate of dog shit you're gonna get what you what you're serving out if that if that makes any sense so um yeah and i mean coming through anything let's just life in general if you're coming at it from a negative attitude you're probably going to get a bunch of shit back uh and more so it's compounded if you're battling something you know if you're battling something and in deep in your mind you know it's going to kick your ass it's probably going to kick your ass Right. And that's the same way I relate that back to lifting, and that's what I tell people all the time in the gym. Don't take the lift. You're not – your head's not behind. Right, right. Because it's going to beat you. You know, you have to get your head space somewhere positive to where, you know, there's no doubt in your mind, I got this shit. I'm well, going to take it. And I'm going to win. <laughs> like, like you were saying, I, I know I'm never going to be the strongest person that ever goes in that gym, but I know I'm stronger today than I was a year ago when I started there. Yes, yeah, exactly, and that's that's where everybody messes up, and that's where, like your friend we were talking about uh, before the show, I think, mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm not strong enough to go to the gym. That's the whole point. <laughs> That's the whole point in going to the gym. Right. And I think of people. A lot of people scare themselves away from this stuff, um, for that fact. And they don't realize that if they just do it, they're going to end up further than they ever will. Right. They ever without doing it. Um, and they'll probably find some kind of passion and joy in it, especially if they connect themselves to a group like we have. Right. Exactly. So, um, and then you have the social aspect too. Um. Lonnie, you have anything you want to add in right now? Uh, well, I mean, uh, yeah, th- I try to look at everything as I get older from like a biopsychosocial perspective. I sound like the World Health Organization, you know, but um, <laughs> but th- th- to me, that's what I think that bodybuilding and powerlifting training does. You know, there's a clear, um, you almost might say, spiritual type, you know, bolstering psychological component 
to that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Uh, part of part of that is literally biological, you know, because like the endocannabinoid system and exercise being naturally anti-carcinogenic, you know, in different ways. And I know there's different types of cancers and stuff. Um, I, I actually I was curious <clears throat> about the choices uh, for nutrition because when you look at different websites for cancer nutrition. I mean, obviously, there's going to be some standards of practice. You know, things are like they're going to monitor it, signs and symptoms, including like loss of muscle mass and stuff like that. Or, you know, there's going to be food safety issues or all kinds of chemo side effects and appetite and all these kinds of interdisciplinary things. But why the choice for like um, no dairy, no meat? I mean, if you go to certain websites like Stanford Health, they'll talk about actually eat high calorie food you got to keep up your weight you know and other people are like no focus on the fruit and veg um and again because the individualized thing i'm just curious as to uh, even the keto you know the choices with that kind of stuff which i really think is emerging um but but what are your what are your thoughts on why you chose the nutritional and the you know not just alternative therapies but even just like the adjunct therapies and stuff uh, because you're an educated guy right in this area so um, well that was back when I did that treatment, that was their recommendation. It was uh, avoid dairy products, avoid the red meat. The other thing was to not take in excessive vitamin B12 because the theory with that was it tended to uh, cause um, that their theory was it tended to cause uh cancer cells to metastasize mm-hmm. with high levels of B12. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing was vitamin E, not to take in excessive vitamin E because they said that could create a coating around the cancer um, to prevent your body from fighting it off. Because the, the treatment that I did, it was actually an injection you did in the inguinal lymph node and you oh. did it every day. Uh, I did it for about nine months every day. It was a 21-day cycle. And the theory was that the cancer cells want to take nitrogen from your body. And to do that, it's got to put your uh, immune system to sleep. So it sent out what's called co-cancerogenic K-factor to put your immune system to sleep. Well, this 714X is what it's called. That's what I did. Um the theory with that was it contained nitrogen, camphor, which was you injected into the inguinal lymph node. That's a primary route for cancer cells to metastasize. That the uh, cancer would get exactly what it wanted, so it wouldn't put your immune system to sleep. And then it had some bile salts in it to help liquefy the lymph system because anytime you get sick, your lymphatic system just gets real goopy and can't get rid of toxins. So as far as giving up the red meat, the dairy, um, I didn't take any additional vitamin E or B12 at that time. That was the reasoning with, with that. As far as the keto um, that I do now, um, first and foremost, I was always running borderline diabetic anyways. So by getting rid of the carbs, I got rid of secreting insulin. And since insulin is a growth factor, um, the insulin itself could actually cause 
cancer cells to grow because of that growth factor mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, I, I lose a lot of weight when I do the keto. I drop my cholesterol. I drop my blood sugars. Um, and that's one of the biggest reasons I do the keto. Yeah. So, and it, it doesn't. It's been effective for me. It doesn't hurt your your lifting at all. Because I got to think that maintaining lots of muscle mass, that's not just pretty or functional from a metabolic standpoint. That's going to make you robust, right? Fighting future, right. you know, episodes right. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. So as far as lifting, no, I I don't know that it's really hurt anything at all. I think if anything, it's probably helped because I've increased my protein levels. Um. And again, I'm. I love powerlifting. I'll never be the best. I just want to be healthy. Right. <laughs> Don't we all? As we get older, that's a bigger and bigger part of. Uh, it's not like the reckless hellbent. We were talking about this last week, where we like yeah. feels like I don't care if I die. You know, bring it. You know, and yeah. and as you get older, you're like, no, no, I, I kind of want to hang around for a few more years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's go more into the, uh, gosh, uh, what would it be? The, the medical profession and their lack thereof knowledge on fitness and nutrition. Because, I mean, one of the big things, again, I'm going to go back to my personal uh, stories and experiences with cancer. But one of the big ones was... The medical profession is good at pushing treatments and drugs. Yep. Um, so one of the first things I did was let's study everything we can do as far as curing this on our own or preventing it, and which led me to LEF, Life Extensions Foundation, and a ton of – I still have this paper. There's tons of things I read up. And I met with my mother's oncologist, and I had a list of stuff, and I said, it says do this. And part of that was going low carb, avoiding sugars, um, high doses of melatonin while you're on radiation therapy, and blah, 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 blah. And at first, this guy would not even listen to me. And there was also exercise, and you know, there was a whole list of things. I don't remember them all. I don't have them in front of me. But um, it was all to do with fitness and nutrition and vitamins and things like that. And he would not bat his eye, would not even recognize that I was saying something. He just kept changing the subject to what he was talking about. And I kept fighting it. And then finally we get into the hallway and he pulls me aside and he said, off the record, I was like, yes. He said, do everything that you have on that paper. Why? My question to this day still is, why won't they even recognize that? And why do we have to go off the record to even talk about that? (laughs) Well, I mean, (sighs) so the gentleman... Um, who was helping me get the 714X out of Quebec. Um, He was actually out of Rochester, New York. He was actually ended up getting thrown in prison for one year and one day. He was actually convicted of things he was never charged with and is now no longer even able to mention the 714X. Um. I know, of course, the FDA, they raided his stuff. They have my records. They have everybody's records that he was helping. And I even had one particular oncologist at KU Med who he could not recommend it 
to people because it wasn't approved treatment. But he would actually have patients call me who either the chemo was not effective or they were not wanting to do the chemo. Mm-hmm. But he was from India, so he had seen other practices, you know, medical practices. And he was the only oncologist, the only physician who backed up my decision to do an alternative therapy. And I remember it was a year after I had been doing, I did that treatment that I asked him, I said, would you have expected the cancer to be back by now? He said, 90% yes, 10%. We just don't know. Because my cancers were getting closer and closer together when they were reoccurring. And, you know, here it is uh, 35 years later. Um, still breathing. So, (laughs) um, the body is capable of healing itself. It does it all the time. It's just a matter of, um, doing the right things. Um, and certainly nutrition is, is key to that. You know, guys, there is, there are obviously standards of practice in medical nutrition therapy for oncology, right? I mean, from, from monitoring to, I mean, just everything, right? They, in yeah. fact, they have different levels from simply competent all the way through expert. Uh, but that doesn't mean that all the physicians are aware of those or working with them or you have an experienced um, dietitian or, or for me, even the advances in science, right, from whether it's, um, again, the really low-carb thing. I mean, I would take a really hard look at keto, you know, yeah. uh, at the time that I'm eventually diagnosed with something, uh, yeah. just because it's, you know, to the point about less insulin, less growth factors. I mean, all that kind of stuff. It just makes makes uh, so much sense. Not to mention we've we've had Fred Hatfield on the show, right? And just from anecdotal point of view, completely like buys into that concept of that's how he yeah. he uh, turned things around and stuff like that. So. And, you know, and obviously there's going to be stuff coming down the pike, too, like these personalized immunotherapies and stuff. Uh, watch the next 10 years. You're going to see huge advances in this stuff. And hopefully people won't have to endure the the hideous side effects of chemo as much, you know, right. and stuff like that. But, well, um, I mean, I guess my point is let's ignore cancer even. Why? Why is there such a disconnect in the medical field as far as something as simple as nutrition and and exercise because we know how preventative it can be. Yeah. Well, you know That's what? I mean, question. you guys, you know? I, you know, here's a, this is a total, my bias, right? And I mean, <laughs> we can see what everybody thinks here, but because I mean, I, I, I agree with everybody wholeheartedly. I think exercise and nutrition plays a, a bigger role than most people are aware of, or that certain, let's just say certain authorities would want to acknowledge because, you know, Phil is making a monthly membership off of that, but Big Pharma really isn't getting any kind of cut, right? And so, again, that's almost conspiracy theory kind of thing. But, you know, when you're when you got your life in your hands, um, I, I, I ain't nobody got time for cons- that kind of conspiracy theory crap. Yeah. You know what I mean? As yeah. far as who's going to make money, is it better just to treat something? Are cures actually not financially wise to these companies like they rather treat things than cure them yeah. I, again i know this sounds like a lot of conspiracy but you know i i 
my bias is that's why you see exercise and, and the power of like resistance training and stuff like that. It's not going to get the attention it probably deserves because there's not a lot of money to be made out of that um, in comparison to some of the, the other expensive treatments they can roll out. I agree with that 100%. Uh, when I did that alternative therapy, I spent about $3,000 total. For all that nine months, when I did the chemotherapy, it was about, I think each treatment that I did, and I did 12 of them, was about $18,000 each. Mm. And that didn't include going back in for neutropenia and low blood counts, uh, which was about another eight grand. And that happened 10 out of the 12 times I did the chemo. So... I mean, it is, it's big business, and yeah, I think it's conspiracy theory by any means. I think it is truly big business, and, you know, more and more drug companies were jumping on the bandwagon with chemotherapy drugs, and I do think they want to treat it. I don't know so much about the cure part of it, but as long as we can treat it and make money, yeah, I do. I do believe it. Yeah. That, so. Nutrition and exercise is such a easy and cost-effective way to even prevent these things from happening. Because, God forbid, you get diagnosed with something. It's so much better when you never get diagnosed with it. Yeah, and, and that's just, where I'm getting at. I was like, why is it then, at, at this day and age, let's leave oncologists and specialists out of this. That's their job. Their job is to battle those things from a general practitioner point of view, for God's sakes, they should have an understanding of yeah. general health. Yeah. And yep. they Power. don't, you know, <laughs> they just don't, they, they seem ignorant to the simple benefits of eating good food and being active. Right. And most of the <laughs> medical professionals don't even practice that themselves. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, I don't know. That's just the, that. That's a frustrating part for me. I mean, God. I mean, I go to my my ortho. I'm a smart dude as far as training goes, but I would have to think at some point. Like I got on my hip replacement, I got prescribed my own PT. You just do your own PT because you're going to know more than our the physical therapist around here. Really, we're at that point where. <laughs> <laughs> God's sakes. And I'm comfortable. Luckily, I'm comfortable putting myself in my own hands, but I would like to think that there's somebody out there that went to school for five years on this shit that would know more than I do. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Um, That's kind of scary, isn't it? Yeah. And it's like, because the average person, what are they going to do? It's like, so Jim down the street that's getting hip replacement is going to some jackass? Yeah. If you're not um, cookie-cutter treatment, it's not going to work. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's – and I, I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer as far as our our current medical state in this world because I'm thankful. I mean, if anybody's thankful for medical professionals, it's me. They saved my ass more than once. But, <laughs> but I, I have to feel we have – a long ways we could possibly go with some simple changes. Yeah. You know, you guys, it's to me, it's for whatever reason. Well, for financial reasons, we have a reactive medical system, not a preventative one, right? Because if it was about prevention and the power of exercise, I mean, hell, the ACSM and ACIP for years had the tagline, exercise is medicine, 
right, to try to emphasize that point. But then Phil would be making the six figure salary, right, (laughs) and and not the you know um, the. Pfizer, the, the re, right? It, or the reactive <laughs> medical model that we have, right? We we would be spending way more money to stop it from happening on the prevention side, right? I've always thought that was odd. So many of my students, they want to become physical therapists. Probably seventy percent of them as freshmen, and they probably had a good experience with them or something. But uh, the point being is. It's for also for the money, right? They're going to step into a job, at least here in my part of the Midwest, let's say for seventy-five grand a year. Um, but if they try to open their own gym and do something that is incredibly powerful, right? Exercise is medicine. They're going to struggle, you know. They're going to make maybe minimum wage or a little above, or you know, they they can't open their own gym probably right out of the gate. So they're looking at salaries of maybe a quarter of that or a third of that uh, by going into something that's such powerful prevention and healing too, right? From a a psychosocial kind of way um, that that's the opposite of being um, isolated on harsh meds, you know? Um, But for whatever reason, our, our system just isn't set up to uh, bulldoze cash at Phil. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Well, and I'm not saying that I'd want to do this, but because I'm at a point in my career where I only want to work with people that that want to be there. But I mean, it seems the society how it is now and the way we're heading that even the prescription of exercise is needed. (laughs) Where it would be covered by a system, you know, and uh, now, like I said, I don't think I want to deal with those people because then you you. You're opening this whole can of worms. You're going to de- be dealing with hundreds of people that are prescribed exercise and don't really want to be there. But <laughs> mm-hmm. um, well, I think know, if there was some more incentive too, you know, you know, people get incentive to stop smoking with, you know, their health insurance, or yeah. you know, it's cheaper to get health insurance if you're a non-smoker. Yeah, you know, and and that's <laughs> one thing that really frustrates me is. I, I I feel that I work hard to stay healthy, but yeah, I will never be able to buy life insurance. Yeah. And you've got people out there that can get it left and right that are just tearing their bodies up. And, yeah. and so, yeah, that is frustrating for me. Mm-hmm. Um, here's, here's an interesting one that comes to my head. So we're talking about how nutrition and lifestyle can be a huge factor of never getting sick. Do you feel... That somewhere between birth and your first diagnosis, there's something that you could have done better to prevent it, ever getting it, that you, you know, weren't doing that you weren't doing before, or was just just something genetic? Do you think? No, I don't think it was genetic. Um, you know, it, it's hard to say. Was it location? Just the air I was breathing. Yeah. Um, the foods I was eating. Um, I don't know. And, and I think for me, it probably took a lot of, um, failures, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. to really break out of my, I mean, I was in nursing school, just graduating nursing school when I decided to do something that was not medically approved. Um, 
and I, and I think for a lot of people, it's hard to to break out of our mainstream medicine. But I will say it's the best thing I ever did. Hmm. Um, but I I would say that certainly adjusting diet is a key thing and you know certainly staying active um it's hard to say since i was so young i don't know how much i could have done different yeah Uh, well that that boils down to like one of the things me and my wife are big on is our kids health it's uh, health happiness and everything is is our responsibility so i mean we try and teach them we eat better for them a lot of the times Mm -hmm. um and that's god i hate to say it but i mean a lot of that's gone the the day of the family meal is gone the day of your parents helping you with homework is gone (laughs) it's like um even with what you do with your son we don't see that a lot anymore right you right. know, of, hey, I'm going to go with my kid to the gym. Parenting. <laughs> Parenting now is largely left to devices and things like that. Uh, and it's whatever eats, whatever convenient. I mean, ever since the advent of the TV dinner. So uh, that's uh, basically what I'm saying is I don't want to try and put this whole show into us looking down on the medical profession. Because not... Well, I think everybody ultimately has our health. Yes, ultimately our responsibility. The responsibility for self comes into your own hands first. Mm-hmm. To eat healthy and to exercise. It's not our medical field's profession to tell you you should do this. You should fucking know. Come on, <laughs> educate, educate yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's just like you going into your mom's oncologist. Yeah. Hey, I I read this, this, and this, and this, and trying to educate yourself it's and. Hard things you can do better for you yeah so i think that's the beauty of uh of powerlifting bodybuilding kinds of things is that or you know your dietary choices is you grab the steering wheel you get to you get to have some just like educating yourself and being part of your medical treatment discussions with your doctor or whatever this is just a huge way for to empower a person to grab the steering wheel damn it you know and Get and not this isn't wishful thinking and do something that's really going to help guaranteed yeah. on some level biopsychosocial it's going to help you know cancer yeah. or otherwise you know mm-hmm. so so all right I think that's good cool so thanks Jason for joining Hall, us well, thank man. you for joining us well thanks for having me I'm probably going to see you here in a little bit <laughs> all right man <laughs> <laughs> we got to go lift and squat together. Okay. So, <laughs> so. Well, have, fun, have guys. a good day. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments or anything, please shoot them out there on, on social media or email us or whatever. So, oh, right on. Thanks. Right. Thanks, guys. Yep. Hey, listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on 
your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good. Uh, Knee sleeves, wraps of some kind. Things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.